Digitizing isn't about technology. It's about helping your customer achieve a goal or solve a problem. Know your customer and consider your business's history as you change its purpose and define your strategy to leverage IoT. A very clear you know, ask or need from a customer. Sometimes we need to start in a conversation and actually see what builds mm -hmm. up and what really comes out. There's not a super clear um, need or anything in terms of this is exactly one technology mm -hmm. that we are after or mm -hmm. one product or solution that we are creating. Mm -hmm. It varies from industry to customer to country to whatever is needed. Um, and that is also something to navigate that uncertainty and also to know that we don't just have a, a product catalog and say, hey, we can sell you those five products and this is who we are, mm -hmm. but really to, to go in from scratch. Hi everyone, this is Helena. And on this episode, I speak to Victoria Klug, who led the creation of Siemens IoT Service Business Unit Purpose and Strategy. She shares how to turn the buzzword IoT into actual customer value, why it's key to develop a purpose that reaches beyond shareholder value, and why humility and acceptance are superpowers when you face chaos and uncertainty during the change process. I love this conversation because Victoria's chaotic abroad working experiences helped her navigate her leading this change and transformation project. Her story illustrates once more the importance of customer centricity, as well as the power of self-development and resilience to maneuver change. This is Helena, host of Where Boundaries to Solves, a podcast that highlights inspiring change agents that have had a strong impact in the companies that they work for or in society. Nice to have you here. Good morning, Vicky. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm super, super intrigued to speak to you and view transformation and change management uh, through your lenses because of your background um, in psychology, uh, your work experience, your current position, your cultural experiences. You have such an, a vast, um, uh, how should I say, background and culturally rich background. Um, and worked in numerous countries, if I'm not uh, mistaken, in UAE or South Africa. Um, so let's just start in the beginning. Um, uh, what did you study, where, and uh, why? First of all, good morning. Very happy to be here. And also very happy to share some of my experiences and uh, maybe to bring up even some more questions uh, to really make this an exchange. That's what I'm really passionate about. So um yeah, I was always very inclined to, towards psychology. That was always something that I've been super interested in. Um, like, how do people, what makes them tick? How do they behave? Um, is there an element that makes us really understand human behavior? And uh, that's why I always wanted to go into psychology. So when I started at university in Germany, um, I was super interested in that. Um, very quickly also specialized more into the field of work and organizational psychology, so so-called business psychology. Because um, I knew that what I was interested in, I wouldn't find necessarily in the clinical path. Um, so I was leaning more towards the, the business field. Um, and then during my um, semester abroad, I had a chance to go to China at that time. Uh, it was the, the Beijing Olympics coming up in 2008. 
And it was a super interesting time to be in China and to completely be emerged in a culture that was so foreign to me that, of course, you read about it, you hear about it, you see it on the news. Um, but then really being there and for the first time also feeling a little bit lost, feeling like you don't understand the word, feeling like everything you see in terms of cultural behaviors, patterns and so on is very, very different to what you're used to. And that has completely changed my shift of perspective what has changed my view on the world for the first time and while it was equally scaring it was also equally exciting um because it was something where i felt like i can learn so much and there's so much more in this world out there to discover um and it took me very quickly out of my comfort zone um and when I got back to uh, to Germany and also then finished my studies, I was always very, very clear about that I want to work in a global setting. Um, and then I want more of that, to be exposed to more cultures, to more people, um, to also have the chance to work and live abroad. Um, that was always very clear to me at a very young age. And um, that's then also how I came uh, to Siemens, basically, which is a multinational company. Um, big industrial player and um, yeah that's uh, that's also where I still am today however I think in the last uh, almost let me think about it eight years uh, I also had six seven different positions and also worked in various different countries um, that was also something that came quite naturally to me um, so for Siemens I worked in in the UAE for example in South Africa and the last uh, two years I spent in the US, which was also a very interesting period. And now I'm back in Munich uh, working in our Siemens Advanta business, which is basically uh, the IoT services business of Siemens. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I, I love, I love how you've been to so many different uh, countries. I was recently actually reading an article on how an abroad experience uh, shapes you and just allows you, because I mean, you mm -hmm. said, you know, it changed your view on the, on the world and how these, yeah, how living in China could, could be so different to uh, living in Germany and that that would basically, uh, the article was saying that how it improves problem solving, how you're much quicker to, to solve problems and also uh, you'll develop um, stronger skills uh, in, uh, in empathy because you're having to, um, I guess, better understand, try to really understand the, mm. the person that you're, there's, that you're speaking to, that you're working with. Um, is that what you, what you experienced or what, what, what else did you learn? Very, very much so. Um, not only empathy, but also taking yourself not too seriously or taking your way of thinking and your perspective not too seriously. So also taking your ego completely out of the equation. Because um, when I, for example, when I came to China, um, I very quickly realized, oh, wow, it's not them doing strange things. It's actually me being very strange right now. So um, you come there with that normal picture of everything I've done so far in my life has been the right thing, the normal thing to do. This is how, how things work normally. And then you realize, no, it's just one perspective in the world. It's just one little tiny example of how things can work. In China, things work like this. In the UAE, they work like this. In South Africa, it's completely different. So that's also something that has massively uh, changed my, my point of view and has also made me step back and not take myself and my positions or my views too seriously, but really 
rather listen, observe, see what's going on, um, and also work with those multiple, it's almost like personas, basically, that you build up while you, while you live abroad, and um, it's everything that you put in your backpack, basically, that you can take out at different stages in your life again, um, and really then, then think about it in various situations. Um, is my point of view the right point of view right now, or is it only because I was used to, um, and this is probably something that uh, that I've enjoyed the most and that has humbled me the most also about living and working abroad. It's it's super hard at times because everything you know falls apart basically. And it also makes you feel very insecure and very much like, oh wow, people can see that I must be struggling right now. But at the same time, it's also such a cool experience um, to learn and um, yeah, to just discover a completely different part of your personality also. And then to see like, hey, I can also do it nice. I can adapt. I can also fit in. Uh, I can also learn a lot from that and also then take it back uh, whenever you go back. I think super crucial to today's day and age where we have to become more humble, where we have to release perfectionism, where we have to change our views and our belief systems. But before we go into that, I'm wondering when you, so when you go into another country, what's the, like, what's the mindset, the, the, yeah, the mindset you put yourself into and you're like, okay, to get yourself ready to be able to completely re-experience the world basically. Um, Because you mentioned these different personas (laughs) that you can like become and like these different little toolkits that you can tap into, I guess, when you face different types of um, scenarios. What's your approach to when you first enter a different uh, setting? For me, I would say it's probably being very comfortable with chaos. And luckily, that's something that I've always been very comfortable with, Um, much to the disgrace of my parents or friends. always say oh my god sometimes you just need a plan sometimes you need to know what you're doing I've never been a person to really plan meticulously from A to B to C to D whatever Um, I've always been a person that was very comfortable with chaos and that's also what I'm trying to to always tell myself um, when I get on that plane and I know that I'm about to have a new address, but I don't even know what the new address will be. I have a new job, but I actually have no clue what the new job will be. I live in a country where maybe I don't even know the real rules and setting and what to do, what not to do. I always try and tell myself to be, to give myself the time to really, and allow myself to deep dive into the culture first and not to make decisions too quickly, um, not to pace myself and say, hey, I need to put a lot of pressure on myself and everything needs to work out just fine in the first five days or so. That's an illusion. It's never going to happen. And also to be very comfortable with chaos, things going wrong, maybe doing things two or three times over and over again. And it might be annoying, but hey, overall it will be fine. And also a very good... um, portion of I think confidence this will work out Um, it might not feel like it in the first couple of weeks in the first couple of months but ultimately it can work out Uh, there's a lot of good people around you there's a lot of good experiences around you and really try and see the positive it sounds so cliche but really 
try and see the positive in those uh, moments also, even though it might be super annoying, even though there might be a lot of paperwork that you didn't expect or whatever. Um, but uh, it's definitely something that ultimately it, it will work out. When I, for example, when I moved to the UAE, uh, it was uh, in Dubai. Um, they came there and uh, I had already arranged for an apartment for me to stay in. And then I arrived there and I realized, wow, the apartment, it was such a shitty place, mold everywhere on the walls. And oh, it was just terrible. So I also realized, okay, whatever plan you may make, once you hit reality or face reality, it might be completely different. Mm -hmm. So that's also why I had to move again. I had to find another real estate agent. I had to call everyone again. I had to go and register again for my Emirates ID and so on and so on. So there's a lot of things that you learn also uh, along the way. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's probably the most important um, that you really embrace that and that you don't put the pressure on yourself, mm -hmm. but that you also very comfortable with those failures and those moments where nothing feels right but ultimately things will things will just fall into place i think those are really super learnings to have made um especially now digital transformation where organizations need to uh, adapt these skills and let's leap into your current position uh, at Siemens how you you mentioned being in the IoT services what exactly uh, are you doing there and what i'd like to get at eventually is how you were able to transfer all of those those learnings into what you do right now so currently we are we are trying to set up a transformation program for our IoT services unit um, within within Siemens um, ultimately saying that the way we work, the way we behave, the way we do business, everything is changing. Um, and we somehow need to be prepared, not in the way to have a perfect plan or a perfect answer, but to be prepared to that very uncertain world and uncertain environment that we live in. That's currently the, the initiative that I'm leading. You see, how can we make this a success? First of all, to really understand a little bit more about the environment of the business that we are in understand our workforce to understand really what we are trying to do and also to see what is it that we as a business are trying to achieve what's our mission what are our values so ultimately what is it that we are after and it's not easy by the way for a new business to come up with all of that to find something that is a very clear and emotional why of why are we doing this and not just saying we're doing this because we're trying to make profit I mean this is a rational or this is a probably a change rationale that doesn't work in our world anymore. I mean, I neither does it work for our shareholders, neither does it work for our employees, and it doesn't work for our world anymore. I mean, there's so much more out there that we need to take into consideration. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why when I joined, for me, it was very, very important to kind of set that scene and um, get everyone on board to really think about it. It's not that I have the answer, not at all. Um, it's just that I was trying to bring everyone on board and also think about it, invite critical different perspectives also into kind of building that vision um, for the IoT unit. And then ultimately also nailing down what is our USP? I mean, everything is about digitalization right now. Mm -hmm. um, how do we also stand apart or set ourselves apart? What is it that we do for our customers that's unique and that's special? What I also think uh, what I can bring in from my diverse perspective is also that starting at zero and starting at, at a point where nothing is clear, especially in our IoT services, there is no black and white. 
there is not a very clear you know, ask or need from a customer. Sometimes we need to start in a conversation and actually see what builds mm -hmm. up and what really comes out. There's not a super clear um, need or anything in terms of this is exactly one technology mm -hmm. that we are after or mm -hmm. one product or solution that we're creating. Mm -hmm. It varies from industry to customer to country to whatever is needed. Um, and that is also something to navigate that uncertainty and also to know that we don't just have a, a product catalog and say, hey, we can sell you those five products and this is who we are. Mm. But really to, to go in from scratch, basically, uh, build up relationship, navigate through those un uncertain paths and then also ultimately just listening to the customer and bringing that empathy that you mentioned earlier bringing that empathy across i think in in terms of leading through uncertainty or leading through mm -hmm. complexity empathy is one of the most important requirements that you need as a leader today in order to understand where's your where's your partner in this um what is it that drives him or her through through all the conversation that you're having what are the like deep-seated motives or, or desires that uh, a person or a customer across from you has um, so that you really also put yourself in their shoes and also like really generically listen to not only what are they saying but what are they maybe feeling what kind of pressure are they experiencing um what are they ultimately after what are their dreams like what mm -hmm. could their dream solution really look like mm -hmm. um and that was a lot to begin with, especially if you look at a company like Siemens, uh, mm -hmm. which can be a very, um, I mean, we've been a company that is super successful in as an engineering background. So basically exactly. give them a complicated problem and give them a lot of expertise and the mm -hmm. best resources and we have the best people and the problem will be solved. Mm -hmm. However, if we enter from a complicated problem now to a complex problem where mm -hmm. nothing is clear and even though you spend a lot of expertise and time and money and the best technology and so on, you don't really know the right answer because it will only be clear in hindsight. Um, so mm. you have to work a lot with emergent practice and try things out and probe and sense and respond to it. And that is something that is very, very new for us. Also new for me, by the way. Um, I also catch myself very often trying to do the quick fix mm -hmm. <laughs> and trying to see how can we plan from A to B um, mm. but then realizing, oh no, our B is actually changing the whole time. So yeah. maybe we're not going from A to B, maybe we're going from A to B2 or A to B3 or whatever yeah. it is. So um, that's currently the environment we're in. Definitely. I definitely recognize that struggle as well. What were the biggest, um, what was that biggest challenge in the beginning? Was it more the, the customer centricity to include the customer voice? in um, trying an experiment and trying to really understand, even as you said, sometimes the customer doesn't really know himself what he, what he needs, it's not very clear to him. Was that the biggest struggle or was it more the whole giving the mission, the vision, an emotional touch and shifting away from profitability? What, what, what were the biggest, um, biggest challenges you faced? That that's a really good question, and it's a tough question um, because I <laughs> I still think we're about to work through that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, customer centricity is one point, um, definitely, because IoT is such a big buzzword. So not even for our customers, it's a hundred percent clear. They also hear about it, and then they think I should do something about it, 
And then the next thing is, but will it actually be worth it if I yeah. spend like ROI discussions? Um, bringing a proof of concept, of course, uh, that is something that, mm -hmm. that we also felt that's quite tough in the beginning. Um, and also just to get a foot in the door um, and not just to, to speak about some you know, additional measures that you could do within the existing world or with an existing product, really just uh, getting a foot in the door in terms of a completely new discussion. And then also what I would say is um, rather internally, uh, we are also struggling with coming from various backgrounds, of course, and coming from various different organizations. Like, how do you give people a new identity that is appealing, that is attractive, and that makes them understand what we are actually doing? We had in our unit, we had people coming from, I mean, it's a fascinating unit with so much knowledge and experience and a wealth of, of years of service. Um, mm -hmm. And then you come together and they were used to working in the various different fields before. And then suddenly you bring them together and say, hey, now you do IoT services and you label that and you say, off you go. And then we're surprised that people are like, what is it that we're trying? to do what is it that that we are after struggling also with how much communication work um is uh, required so to really again and say and also emphasize again and again this is the vision this is where we are trying to go these are the markets um even though we don't know yet a hundred percent but this is roughly what we are trying to do and figure out the details behind that what does that mean for our go-to-market what does it mean for our organizational setup so really going very deep also then into the details. And I think we completely underestimated that in the beginning, mm -hmm. that you can't just say, hey, we are doing one exciting thing. Now go be excited and uh, go and see the customers. Also providing more of a sense of direction and a sense of purpose also behind them. That, that is something that uh, we are still working through. Yeah. But I can imagine that the whole um, having a POC for a certain customer, so co-creating that first, I don't mm. know, package probably helped you tremendously look into and deep dive into those details so that you have something yeah. to hold on to. I guess that's what's the, the benefit of being uh, set up in a, and using agile methodologies or framework. But I'd like to dive more into that identity discussion what was that more about? I mean, the, you mentioned the labeling part, the IoT labeling it, and that suddenly people were like, ooh, what is this all about? What aspects of identity did you guys have to tackle? A lot, to be honest. I mean, first of all, it's dealing with the identities of what was before we were founded, because um, everyone comes with an identity already, it comes with an organization that has been that has been existing for years and years and that were super successful. So, and then suddenly you say, hey, that part of the organization is, uh, or we are making that part of a larger organization. And that, first of all, is a, Oof, but what's happening? It's like, what is happening with the identity that I've always been part of, that I was so proud of, that, that uh, we had nurtured and grown over the years and that really is recognized with our customers and on the external market and so on. So that, that's a discussion um, that uh, we shouldn't have taken too lightly. That's such an important point. Don't forget that people are proud of something and that they come from a certain, uh, from a certain organization. And then the second one is also, um, if you want people to also follow you on that path and get excited about that new endeavor, you need to build out a very clear, attractive, 
yeah, vision or, or identity of what's to come. And um, this is also something that, uh, that I learned is much more difficult than I expected in the beginning. I said, oh yeah, let's write down some cool, mm. nice new vision and values and so on. It was an iterative process of, I can tell you, three or four months uh, wow. working with the leadership team, working with a lot of people from the organization, with external input and coaches and so on. Nailing it down and coming up with something that is uh, that is makes our customers understand what we are doing, makes our people understand what we are doing, and is also equally attractive um, or desirable for people to be to be part of. Um, and then also communicating that and giving examples and so on. Because I think the the first layer is always giving that clear emotional why, and the second one is then immediately role modeling it. And that is something that also has to come a lot from from top leadership, from executive leadership, um, from like key influences in the organization, like those people where everyone looks at or or where everyone says, oh wow, if they are behaving like this or if they are taking this seriously, then there might be actually something about it. And always repeating those behaviors, repeating that pattern, repeating those values and so on. If you see that and if they take it seriously, then I think you're already a good step on your journey. And we're just about to start that. So I can't give you a full review mm. on this is how it's going or not. Uh, we're mm. just about to start this. Um, but it's it's a very critical point. Um, and that's also why I'm so passionate about the uh, the aspect or the role of leaders in this whole transformation, because I believe mm -hmm. that, um, I really believe that leadership is the, the ultimate experience uh, that we can give our employees. Absolutely. And um, if this really, if this really works, and if mm -hmm. people can trust our leaders, if they are inspired by our leaders, if they see that also they have problems on the way they are struggling with something if if it's about authentic leadership then i also believe that everyone is much more into buying into this journey and uh, much more interested also in going on this journey than just uh, sitting back and saying hey i'm not sure if i can trust this guy or that lady mm -hmm. i totally i totally agree um i was talking to a friend of mine the other day and she was explaining, so uh, the company she works for has also adopted um, uh, safe agile. I mean, I don't know if it's safe, but an agile framework. And she was explaining that they just had their first PI. And at the end of the day, or at the end of the PI planning, uh, the business unit lead came up and said, okay, but we're doing this and we're not doing that. And um, <laughs> it's a little bit of a problem, right? Because the PI, I mean, <laughs> the, the, the teams uh, just defined what's going to be done. Um, and so and she was like really, really frustrated because he, he clearly didn't understand. Um, I mean, he, he did understand, but in a certain way, um, didn't understand his role maybe in it. And I, I believe this occurs, and this is probably not a, a single case, uh, but I believe that this occurs because leaders um, so far have spent uh, time exerting control um, to feel needed, to feel like they have, you know, they can contribute and they can add value by directing mm -hmm. um, groups. And so there's no malintent. It's just the way things have been done in the past. And now they're being asked to mobilize energy and commitment. Um, mm -hmm. So that's a completely shift in, in behavior. 
Um, and um, so I'm wondering if that's like one element that you guys were also looking into in terms of identity, because I think at least from what I hear and experience when I discuss uh, change and transformation with different people, it's about, okay, gaining this new sense of how they're needed, how they're valued, how they can contribute. Mm. Is this something you guys also um, had, to, had to deal with? Yes. Yes, a lot. And we are also not there yet. Um, so right now what we are trying to do to address exactly that is we have due to COVID-19 of course mm. we have uh, changed to a completely digital format but mm. um, we have just started a series of uh, like digital workshops basically for our top 120 leaders and influencers in the organization so not necessarily taking that too hierarchically mm -hmm. but really saying who are the people that everyone is listening to or that anyways are um, on the landscape and that we know um, so we we basically started with 120 people um, and said let's try something let's set mm -hmm. up a digital journey for those um, and give them some more of the tools, mindsets, practical tips to hand to basically lead this organization. And there we have, for example, we also have workshops about leading in complexity. Um, and that was just something that we were also talking about. Um, what is needed um, as you are uh, leading in complexity and very differently to leading in, in a complicated environment, it's not necessarily that you are the engineer and you have to know everything and you have to know the answer and you have to be the expert in something but you are very much more a behavioral scientist that's the kind of image that we found but because mm. you need to see how, what is it that drives people mm. how are they behaving mm -hmm. uh, what is happening also with our customers so really taking a completely different lens to solving that problem Mm -hmm. almost taking a step back and then as a behavioral scientist seeing oh this is how it might work and also uh, enable the team or empower the team mm -hmm. to find a solution to to try that emergent practice and then also see again as a behavioral scientist how did it work did we actually solve the problem did we get a little bit closer or is there anything else that we need um, so that was also part of one of the workshops we also go uh, deeper now into a, a series of, uh, for example, trust. How can we build trust? How do we destroy trust? How mm -hmm. can you also build trust digitally or online since much of everything that we are doing is now happening just as we are talking now? Mm -hmm. And then also one of the things that I strongly believe in uh, that is super important for leaders these days is um, storytelling and really going deeply also into not only what is the story that I need to tell about the business, but also revealing something about yourself, being very authentic about why is it important to me personally that we get this done or that we can all go on this endeavor together. So um, storytelling is such an important tool to really scale your leadership and to really get people on board and really bring them to action, basically. Um, so this is also something that we are uh, discussing, just to give you an insight on, mm -hmm. on that journey that we are currently uh, trying to build up here. Um, and even though it's completely digital, completely online, and we may lose some of that sense of connection and some of that 
rapport that you build up very quickly normally in a face-to-face setting Mm -hmm. even though it's online I'm very glad that we are starting it um, because at least also in an online setting you get to talk about it you get to raise it everyone also has has their space or their Mm -hmm. their time to think about it and Mm -hmm. reflect it's almost like a daily Mm -hmm. set of questions that you can ask yourself what was Mm -hmm. the one little thing that I did today to grow even more or to empower my team or what is the mental or physical state or emotional state that I'm in right now and why is that so real to yourself and so even though it's all online I think it's important that we started a little bit that that kind of reflection process also I think that's really important I think um that also but I you know there's so many different topics that are new that leaders are required to look at and reflect mm-hmm. upon. And sometimes it's really the, the nuances that make a difference, you know, especially if we're talking about trust. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can have a, a leader that has good intentions and he's trying to empower his team, but then maybe it does happen where he's under time pressure and then thak, he makes a decision. He's just like, nah, you know, this is, he has the last say any which way. If you don't have that kind of trust, it's really difficult then to muster up the courage to then give feedback and not know, okay, well, I, I'm not quite sure if I trust him, but I still need to give feedback if we want to move this forward. And I find that um, a really difficult environment. It is. And I think leadership is one of the hardest jobs or hardest tasks or responsibilities that you can fulfill. Um, Cause it's something that you have to want every day. You have to be super passionate to be mm-hmm. a leader mm-hmm. and you have to make that choice every day consciously. Again, I want mm-hmm. to be a leader of this team or I want to lead this initiative because you're so exposed in your role as a leader. If you do one thing wrong when everyone's like, Oh, that was the one mistake that you shouldn't have done. And that makes yeah. it quite hard. Um, it makes yeah. it very hard to fail. Well, I see a lot of leaders that, obviously fail uh, but then they're so afraid to speak up because they say oh my god I made a mistake <gasps> mm-hmm. I'm gonna mm-hmm. cover it up and I'm gonna let's see if we can somehow go on with what we've been doing before and um, I have to try better and put a lot of pressure on themselves instead of then also opening up again and coming back to authentic leadership and and empathy instead of opening up and saying hey guys I'm also learning and by the way mm-hmm. this is something that I've been trying to work on for example mm-hmm. to reduce my self-orientation in that moment uh, mm-hmm. where I, when I'm under pressure, I tend to make decisions very quickly on my own because I'm afraid that we run out of time or I'm afraid that we make the wrong decisions. Mm-hmm. Or so. Just speaking it out and putting it out mm-hmm. there on the table, it requires a lot of courage also mm-hmm. from the leader. It also requires a very open team um, so that they also really then take Respect it up and say, well, too. thank you yeah. for opening up. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. And also that it's it's it must be safe also for the leader um, mm-hmm. to to mm-hmm. really open up and to learn and to grow. Um, so there's always two sides of the medal um, that I mm-hmm. see. So we really have to be also there careful that that teams don't judge too quickly. You know that that leaders also get a chance to to really learn and grow. They are also ultimately they are all just human. You know oh. that we can find a very natural approach or a very natural perspective um, to to also pay as a leader and admitting failures and learning and growing. I mean, mm-hmm. that's ultimately what, uh, what we should all be after. 
This is such a critical point, I think, um, with the, when we discuss mm -hmm. this learning organization, right? Because you have authentic leadership, mm -hmm. but then you need an environment that embraces authenticity and uniqueness. And that means also mm -hmm. allowing to develop ourselves and allowing to, to make mistakes, right? And I think that's such a difficult aspect, especially, I mean, I don't know what it's like in Germany, but at least in Switzerland, you know, we have Swissness, Swiss quality, and we all have prided ourselves as a not only I mean a country the country's culture on perfectionism but also the company that we work mm -hmm. in like you know Siemens being prided itself on its ingenuity oh my god how do you call how do you say the word ingenuity and ingenuity, ingenuity I guess thank you I <laughs> really had a black blackout on that word um but you know and also the just the perfectionism that that our our engineers prided themselves on and now suddenly we're not we're, we're being encouraged to you know, trial and error and make mistakes and experiment and embracing failure. Now, I do see that there, you know, there not every failure is to be celebrated. Like there's preventable failure, there's complex mm -hmm. failure, and then there's the intelligent ones where we're after, where we can uh, draw some learnings from. But I think it's closely tied into our perfectionism and then imposter syndrome and dealing with that. I mean, for me personally, mm -hmm. uh, realizing that perfectionism was uh, something that I needed to, to, to deal with, that was getting in my way, was one step. Mm. And the second step was this whole embarking on this journey of self-compassion and self-worth and still feeling mm. like I am enough and um, that I'm giving it my best and to still encourage myself to keep on, keep on going. And I think that's something that's, I mean, yeah, maybe I think this is where a lot of work still uh, needs to be done. I don't know how you see yeah. it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, completely. And I, I also struggle with that, uh, by the way. I'm also a notorious uh, perfectionist. Um, very happy to live in chaos, but also mm. I'm, I'm such a perfectionist when it comes to deliver something to the people that I work with or to my... Uh, my clients, so to say, even if they are internal. Um, so it's it's also something that uh, that I'm I'm not fully there yet. I'm also still learning there. And um, at the same time, I always think about how can we master that art of failure um, in terms of failing very early on and failing very small so that it's not because you mentioned Siemens in our background and in a lot of cases it's true if we would fail with a big project if we would deliver a faulty gas turbine to a customer if we would deliver a faulty train or something to a customer I mean lives depend on that mm -hmm. um, so that is something where we can't say oh yeah we're proud of we delivered a train that had a mistake or you know and then we had a crash and this is not okay and this, this is something where I also completely understand where we come from and that's also nothing that we should ever compromise like the, the safety of our clients of uh, the safety of our products this is nothing that we should ever um, be proud of the thing that I'm thinking is like how can we how can we really fail small very early on um, so not necessarily trying to build up a whole project and then failing at the end mm -hmm. but how can we already fail very very quickly on that journey like in the first five minutes in the first five days in the mm -hmm. first month or so 
Um, and that is again where you mentioned agile um, and new ways of working and so on, where I think we also have to adapt a little bit, not to always think of those huge work packages and projects that we have to work through. Mm. Really see how can we how can we make smaller loops? Mm. How can we think about something in a in a bit smaller way and then also having very good feedback mechanisms, by the way, in teams, for example, like, like you said, for example, speak up culture, that for, for me is something um, that really has to work mm -hmm. and that really has to be encouraged and empowered. And for that, you need to be very open to mistakes. You need to make sure that it's very safe to also open up mm -hmm. so that you can avoid a big, uh, you know, a big bang at the end where you mm -hmm. say, oh, yeah, I always knew, by the way, for the last half a year, I saw that you were taking a wrong turn there. But mm -hmm. I never mentioned it because mm -hmm. I was too afraid that someone would tell me, oh, yeah, whatever, shut up or you lose your job or whatever. And mm -hmm. um, this is something where we also and especially where where our leaders also have to adopt that mindset of admitting coming up bringing up failures early on is super super important um and it is probably also in these unprecedented times what really keeps us alive then um that we have these feedback mechanisms that really work yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree. And I was, I mean, this, uh, the, yeah, this book, a learning uh, organization, I believe it's called, uh, she also mentions like the, 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 these cases where the CEO says, uh, fail fast, fail ugly, <laughs> so that I can yeah. redirect my course as fast as possible. You made an important point earlier where you said that also the, the, the leaders need to feel like they're, they're, they, um, they're in a safe space. Yeah, empathy goes two ways. Um, yeah. It really is something that is reciprocal, really. Um, so, of course, it's mostly on the leader to start and to role model and to go ahead and to set the scene, set the tone and so on. But on the same on the same side, it's super important that also the, the team really understands what a big job sometimes it is to open up it's really important that everyone also does it on the team. Sometimes, I mean, it's really about some very simple exercises, you know, about generic listening and actually mm -hmm. just opening up and listening to each other for 15 minutes or so, um, just in pairs or so. Sometimes it's also about sharing some, some bigger news and really also doing storytelling in a bigger setting and so on. So that can also work. But there are so many like simple tools or simple tricks, basically, that you can implement um, very easily they don't take much time and they can immediately increase also the level of trust or the level of collaboration in, in teams. So what are some of the tips that you guys um, talk about in, in terms of storytelling? I'm curious. I love the topic storytelling, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, we're just getting into it. Um, mm. So it's actually also part of our next workshop. Um, and we are using a very simple framework to make it easy for people to tell their story. The storytelling uh, framework that we use is by Marshall Gantz. He was an American politician, uh, but also author. And he also was involved in Barack Obama's last uh, presidential campaign, also helped him write a lot of his speeches. The framework that you always find is, is three parts. The story of me. So you reveal something about yourself, something that either you're passionate about, something how you grew up, your socialized mindset, whatever. You reveal something about yourself. After story of me, you have the story of us. Yeah, the story of those of all of you that are listening now. Uh, what is important to you? So you um, already 
kind of transfer the story of yourself and your passion, your values, whatever it is that you want to talk about, you transfer it also to your audience. Why is it relevant for all of you now? Why am I telling you all of that now? And then the third part is the story of now. And this is basically the opportunity uh, that lies ahead of the storyteller now. So the opportunity is basically a call for action to say, we are all here, you are here, I'm here, we are all together here because we have this great opportunity and this is how we can do it together. So you start the story of me and this is also a nice opportunity to reveal something of yourself and maybe also to get, speaking of authentic leadership, to get a little bit deeper into what is it that drives me, what is it that makes me tick, what is it that is super important for me and I would never compromise on those values. Mm -hmm. um, and then story of us is really it's an amazing opportunity to also value the people around you and really bring them on board and value their contribution and so on. And then story of us is really, you know, bringing it all together and creating that, that vision, that opportunity, that dream that is now ahead of that and really uh, bringing that call to action uh, alive. So that is something that we are trying now. Um, mm -hmm. Let's see how it works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> also, I've never done it in an online format before. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I've experienced that a lot um, face to face, and it was always very powerful. Um, so let's see how we how we do it uh, online. And um, I'm also very curious to hear some of the stories that will unfold. <laughs> yeah. What is the skepticism that you face? And I mean, this workshop you haven't done yet, but mm -hmm. like with the other transformation workshops, what were the the biggest concerns that you guys had to deal with? I see a lot of mindset of Oh, I've already heard about that before. We already know what we are doing. That lack of urgency in terms of, I feel like this is such a, you know, common sense that we are talking about. I feel mm. like everyone knows that the world is changing. Why are we even talking about it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yes, everyone knows that the world is changing. Um, but the thing is, we want to go deeper and reflect on what does it do to ourselves and what is the role that we play in this? Because I believe every transformation is only successful if every single person really feels it here. 100%. Um, and this is, this is where we want to go deeper. And this is always what I'm not getting tired of emphasizing. It's like we are really trying to make you understand and help you reflect what is your leadership contribution to this transformation and um, also mm -hmm. to uncover a little bit what is it that you are passionate about what is it that you that you also feel is your leadership purpose to bring your leadership purpose to life in this transformation because mm -hmm. for me it's not good enough to just say hey i'm a leader or i'm a whatever head of something um and this is why i lead that's not enough. Why do you lead? Why are you passionate of leading a team during this transformation? What is it that you bring in? What is your contribution? And what is what makes you get out of bed every morning? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this is then typically when people say, oh, but that's, that's really part of a transformation. I thought that was personal. <laughs> like, yeah, it is personal, but that's exactly <laughs> what we're trying to do. <laughs> So yeah, this is uh, this is where I feel we have to meet the skepticism with a completely personal approach, um, and also get people to think about it um, on their own terms. Like, what is it that really makes me get out of bed every morning? Have you had the uh, cases where people have realized that they may be in the wrong position because they've had deeper reflections, and then they're like, hmm, actually, mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe I'm not doing the right thing. 
I've I've had that uh, during a lot of the transformations also in the past that I've uh, that I've accompanied. It's almost like a <laughs> like a spiritual awakening or something. Yeah. Um, but it's really that that deep introspection and that deep reflection of this is me, this is my passion and purpose. This is also the environment where I excel. Brings a lot of people to that point of, oh wow, I realize I'm maybe not in the right spot. I realize I I'm maybe made for smaller environments. Maybe I'm made for more of a social impact venture. Um, maybe the big corporate is not for me anymore. And I saw a lot of people actually follow that kind of whisper of, uh, oh, something is not really right there. Or I feel like I'm made for something else. I saw a lot of people then also completely redirecting their their career or redefining um, how they were seeing um, themselves or their their contribution. And that was really um, super interesting to hear and to see um, and also to really follow their journey <clears throat> and say, wow, um, we, we've come so far. And the plan was, of course, to somehow contribute to that transformation or whatever it was. And now you're doing something completely different. Um, and it's amazing to see because I believe we only have that one life. And yeah. what are you doing with it? Are you, are you sitting in a job that maybe makes you feel like you're sitting in a cage and your mm. wings are clipped and you can't, really, you can't really fly? And what is it that you are doing to really fulfill your, your dreams and your passion and your purpose? What is it that you are doing um, to, to really have that one fulfilled, happy life? That is a fascinating question for me. One of the deepest and, and most profound questions that you can probably answer in your life. And sometimes you don't even find an answer after years of thinking about it because it really, it really takes time in yourself to, to develop and to grow and to nurture that kind of thought. Um, so it, it's one of the hardest questions probably mm -hmm. that, that you can also ask. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think it's it's exactly that. I mean, it's I think we're in a time and age where these things are happening right now, where we have mm -hmm. the luxury also to be asking ourselves these questions so that we can navigate ourselves into other environments. Because um, I always compare my life uh, to my parents and, you know, they had mm -hmm. challenges to to overcome different situations that they met, that they were met with. And um, yeah, I, I just also think it's a, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to ask ourselves, okay, what is, what is truly, what is, uh, what, what, what's my, my mission in this lifetime? What's, what's my role? Yeah. How can I uh, be best of service to, you know, improving, I don't know, humankind, the world we live in. Mm -hmm. And, um, mm -hmm. and only if we tap into that, can we also contribute towards, you know, shaping the organization's mission and, and vision. And, and only then will it fly, as you say, you know, transformation happens at the individual level. I strongly believe in that as well. Yeah. 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 And it's super interesting that you also bring it up because I think our parents' generation and the generations before, passion or purpose is something that 
maybe you think about it, but you don't even bring it up when you pick a job, you know, you just choose a profession and then you stay in that profession or you, um, you uh, maybe branch out a little bit left or right, but ultimately it's about putting food on the table. It's about making exactly. sure the family is safe. Um, so these things, and now we have our generation and I think the generations that come even after us, um, they will demand that, so much more loudly and and I think it will become so much more important for our society also because we have a lot of those pressing needs um, mm -hmm. that were maybe not as transparent or maybe not as obvious as they are today mm -hmm. and I mean we all know about the sustainability development goals by the UN for example the SDGs um, those are the ones the big questions or the big challenges but also big opportunities that our generations and the next generations to come can really tackle and can really solve and i think there's a a broader understanding now also that um you know we cannot only look at one one player segregated or isolated but that we always need to to kind of take that systemic view of mm -hmm. what 100%. does the whole system require yeah. and not what can one business do or what can one uh, social impact company do or what can one NGO do but really like mm -hmm. how does that whole interdependency work between the different players in our ecosystem and what is everyone's role and how can we contribute all together? I think mm -hmm. this is something it's getting more and more complex. And mm -hmm. also by the way, that makes it very daunting for a lot of people mm -hmm. to even go into something like that. And a lot of people say, well, no, um, I don't, I don't agree with that. Uh, please give me the black and white answers. Um, I don't understand how we can engage in something like that. And there are at the same time, a lot of people who are attracted by that and say, wow, this is so complex but also mm -hmm. so fascinating and it's also an opportunity to create something new mm -hmm. to create innovative solutions mm -hmm. and that's what we see also currently that's why i think um also the role of society and what we see at the moment also being quite tense at least also here in germany we have we have a lot of very tense discussions for example around covid and how do we handle the situation and all the safety measures that were put in place and so on <clears throat> There are some people who say, I can totally understand, and even we might not do the right things right now, but at least we are doing something, we are trying mm -hmm. it, we are experimenting. Mm -hmm. And then there are others who say, tell me when I can take my mask off again, and tell me when I can go to school. And so really also requiring those black and white answers. And mm -hmm. I think it's, I mean, it's super important to understand that a lot of them or to take them along and a lot of them who really want those black and white answers they are also scared they are also scared by that uncertainty and no one can really give you an answer in terms of you know on may 25th in 2021 we will completely get rid of corona <laughs> this is not an answer that we can have or yeah. you can return to work by exactly that date and by then and that everything will be fine we don't even know ourselves. Our politicians don't know. The WHO doesn't know. No one knows. You know, yeah. these are these are the times that we live in, and um, yeah. yeah, I think it's super interesting that we kind of see both sides and not get too caught up on one side or too hard, harsh almost uh, on one side, but that we always try and have that dialogue and always try and find that common sense also, because um, only then you can really also 
you know, uh, um, you can only create systems change or a systemic change in societies or in a big complex world like this. I think you addressed really like, you know, when people need black and white answers, I, I don't know if my, if my understanding is correct, but I also think that it stems a lot out of fear. And what's helped yeah. me personally to break out of that is to always know that in this world, I don't face it alone. Like it's everything mm -hmm. has to happen in collaboration. And that just immediately mm -hmm. takes the pressure off where I'm just like, we're doing this together. And the better mm -hmm. we get at doing things together, the better we get at connecting with each other and understanding that this is not a one man show. It's not a me show. It's not about me and my life. Yeah. I am part of a, a bigger system. I am connected mm -hmm. to you, 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 and I have a certain role and responsibility that I need mm -hmm. to take. And um, yeah, then it also becomes easier to ask for help. If you're giving help and you see yeah. it in a form of collaboration, then you're also yeah. you know, more willing to ask for help when you need it. And I just wish that we could move more into those um, into that kind of thinking. I think, for example, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like in collectivistic cultures, this is more of a, you know, for example, in China, this is more of a, mm -hmm. a given where, you know, society, uh, the society's needs uh, are regarded as more important as the individual's needs. Yeah. There are also dark sides to that, but I think that, I don't know, was there something that you learned from that experience that you think we should <laughs> try to adopt here in, the, in, in these individualistic uh, mm. cultures? What do you think? Yeah, very good thought. And uh, um, really like what you're bringing up there, and especially the point about collectivistic versus more individualistic societies. Mm. I think it's probably not possible to completely transform into a more collectivistic one um, mm. but what I really what I really believe in um, and what I think should be possible is to have a more inclusive narrative as we go along um, we are almost uh, we are a very rational very fact-based very um, You know, in Germany, everything has to be followed up by a professor or a doctor or a politician mm. or someone explaining something. And it's almost like if, you, if we come back to that storytelling and creating trust and empathy and so on, it's almost like what, how, could we, how could we tell that story and still, of course, stay with the facts and stay with the mm. rational because I'm a huge believer in science and in facts and, mm. and really research. But again, how can we also come up with a narrative that is very inclusive and that makes people understand their place in that overall narrative? I think that's just equally as important as just saying, you know, this is the virus, these are the effects, those are the measures. Mm -hmm. But really also trying to appeal a little bit more to people's, like you said, there are so many fears probably also, like, will I lose my job? Will I still have uh, the, the possibility to bring my kids to school or to kindergarten? Will we still be somehow uh, able to see the grandparents or so? Um, you know, will we die? Will we suffer from that disease? Mm. Um, to really react to those fears, not only with a rational mind, but also to react with a, with a story or with a narrative that makes everyone feel safe and included. Mm. That's something I feel like we, we need more, especially also if you look into political leadership and the political landscape or societal leadership, basically. Mm. I think we need more of that um, to also address those basic human fears. 
I was actually watching this um, discussion or interview between an organizational psychologist. I forgot his name. He has this podcast and Esther Perel. I'm not sure if you're familiar with who (laughs) she is. Yeah. And she was saying that basically where human got, um, they found their safety and their stability within, you know, the, the communities that they were in. So the villages that they lived in now those communities and those communal needs are covered by organizations. So uh, discussing and touching upon, you know, the mental needs of employees at work, you know, Mm. dealing mentally with all of these, um, with all of these eight issues and like coming back to work, the fear of that. And, and Mm. then also another aspect of where people, because they can in the past, maybe haven't been able to bring their full unique self to work, feel also more, there's like this loneliness that people feel Mm. at the workspace. And I'm just wondering how far do organizations actually have to step into that role where they are managing their or helping their employees reach a healthier mental health mm-hmm. i'm just like okay where do these boundaries like where where yeah where's where's the where's the border here um i don't know what have you have you do you have any thoughts on that <laughs> no, again no black and white answer yeah, yeah. <laughs> um we actually just uh just ran an engagement survey so an employee survey within our unit um to ask them about how they are doing in in uh, in that setting right now, which is uh, characterized by lockdowns in various countries, working from home basically since March, um, mm-hmm. and so on. And it was interesting because we asked for the benefits, but also challenges, of course, and then how people are doing. And benefits are clearly, um, you know, I can juggle work and family, or flexibility of timing, or less commuting, and so on. But then, especially with the challenges, the point that you brought up is the lack of personal interaction. That's the number one um, challenge that every one of our almost 8,000 employees uh, almost said. Um, It's crazy how isolated we feel and that that psychosocial function of work that you normally have in terms of meeting people, um, also having a chit chat, um, it structures your day, um, you get new input and so on. Mm -hmm. That is completely missing. And it's not like we have a black and white answer for that. Um, And we just tried various different formats also to say, is it enough if we, for example, have one virtual lunch at least with a team per week so we can all just sit together and kind of have that chit chat and yes, it's over the camera and yes, it's not the same, but still have those uh, those very informal touch points. Can we somehow make them institutional in our calendars so that it works for everyone? Then also um, like a, a coffee roulette, for example, where you can just draw a name and then you schedule 15 minutes with that person and just say, hey, let's get to know each other. The point in terms of social isolation and especially where you can't step in, where does it begin? I'm, I think we can probably step in for a large part, um, but I also believe that we can't substitute everything. Yeah, we'll see. So I guess we're reaching the end of our conversation. One, one question that I like to ask everyone is um, if you could give advice to your younger self before you embarked on this digital transformation journey that we're on, what would it be? 
be even more patient (laughs) and don't underestimate how much time it takes um, to first of all get familiar with what you have in front of you and observe and see and learn and get yourself up to it Mm. and then don't be disappointed if things don't work up five minutes give yourself the time really just taking one step at a time. Um, that's probably the advice that I would give myself. That's probably what uh, what would have made the first year a little bit easier. <laughs> I think patience is such a difficult one because it goes hand in hand with, with yeah. excitement. You know, you get excited, you have an idea. I know. You're like, oh, what do we have, we want to, oh, we have so much to do and so many fun things ahead. And it's just taking everything, everyone along on that journey. Yeah. And that's definitely something I need to yeah. I'm, I'm constantly working on is the patience aspect is like why yeah same on the same page <laughs> same and then I always just try to take myself out of the equation that's probably the biggest learning through yeah. like all of my moving and living in different countries and also working on different projects and in different roles yeah. what's important for the people that you have in front of you that's that's, that's so... always the biggest question then um and then some Somehow my impatience also, it's not as, not as relevant anymore. (laughs) That's such a good point. I love how you tied that in because that's, that really is the easiest way. If you make it about everyone else and you add and you change the purpose of your, of your motivation, then that just Mm. becomes so much easier. Oh, thanks for that. That, that's a, that's an important (laughs) one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, in this case, thank you so much for all of the, the, the insight and all of the, the, the learnings, the, the experiences, uh, was super, super interesting speaking to you. Thank you so much uh, for, for providing that space and for getting people together and um, for connecting also virtually. Um, that's super nice in those times. So um, I was very happy uh, to be on the line here and uh, very curious also to see the next guests then coming up for more inspiring interviews make sure to subscribe on apple podcast or spotify or wherever you get your podcast don't forget to rate and review me i'd love to receive your feedback as well so do comment and feel free to send me uh, your requests about who you'd like me to interview next you can find me on instagram at where boundaries to solve or just drop me a message on linkedin i'm really looking forward to hearing from you This is Helena, and you've been listening to Where Boundaries to Solve.